Okay, so just to get us going this evening, I was recently turned on to what perhaps 13-year-old me would kind of write off as something silly or uh, normie, quote-unquote, or dare I say unfashionable, and that is the fanny pack. Oh, no. I got to say, man, so my girlfriend ordered one from Amazon. She ordered a yellow one, and it came, and it was neon yellow. And She's like, I do not like this. So she got a black one. And instead, she's been using that one. And, and we just have the neon yellow one waiting around. Or we have the neon <laughs> yellow one just kind of sitting around our apartment because, like, it's just not worth it to, like, go to the, to return it, to go to the post office and return it. It's just not worth it. So it's been sitting around. And the other day, we went to the park um, just for kind of a extended hang in the park. And since I was thinking about going for a run while we were there, I was like, well, you know what? Let me bring the fanny pack. So I, br- I brought the fanny pack. I put my... First, I was like just putting my normal things in it. So I put my wallet in it, put my keys in it, I put my phone in it. Um, and then I realized, well, I've got so much more space in here. So I put my, <laughs> so I put my earbuds in it. And then I just... Load it up? <laughs> yeah, dude, I just started loading sunglasses in it. It was just like, all of a sudden, I realized, wait a second, I'm no longer limited to the confines of my own pocket. There are multiple pouches within the fanny pack. So there's like a big pouch and then like a smaller zipper pouch. Um, so it was great. I mean, I was like, this, this is the future, even though it's, you know, what is it? 30 years old at this point. <laughs> um, I thought it was just really great. I was like, man, if only this wasn't neon yellow, <laughs> I would wear it all the time because <laughs> it was very, it's very yellow. It's like very yellow. So I think, I, just wanted to need, I think we're going to need a picture of this neon yellow one in the show notes. I'll take one for you. Don't worry. Okay. Hmm. I you know I didn't see this coming. I saw fanny pack in the notes. I I didn't think I didn't think this is where you were going with that. But let me ask you a question then. When you okay. when you loaded it up, did you it was that the only thing you took with you? Like did you not put anything else in your pocket? Like you were just free free riding. It was it was awesome. Okay. I was and, wearing like running shorts. Mm. So there's not a lot of pocket space on them anyway. Um so it was great cuz then I didn't have to worry. I didn't also have to worry about things falling out of my pocket, which was I mean, particularly for shorts and uh, gym shorts, especially or running shorts, the pockets are kind of situated in such a way that if you were to sit down kind of at the wrong angle, something could easily fall out. Mm-hmm. I think you may remember a very specific situation oh. where a certain something <laughs> fell out of my pocket from a very high point. <laughs> I think Unbeknownst I should, to me. <laughs> I think I should brief the listeners on this. Yeah, I think you should. So once upon a time, Tyler and I were roommates. Yeah. And we lived on a fourth floor walk up in the Lower East Side of New York. Wasn't it technically the fifth floor? Yeah, it was the fifth floor. Yeah, technically. Yeah, it was a lot of stairs. They were steep stairs. It was it was high up. We had yeah. a we had a little fire escape outside our window that we would occasionally hang out on, perhaps with um, a little bit of music, listening to whatever we needed to through yeah. the through a Bluetooth speaker. Yeah, and because it was so high up, I mean. Even if it wasn't high up, even if it was a first story fire escape, you'd still want to protect your goodies. Yeah. So we would always just put our phone right on the inside of the fire escape, maybe on the windowsill, maybe on the desk right, right inside. That yeah. was the usual practice. For yeah. whatever reason this time, it seems that maybe something was on Tyler's mind. He was really excited about the music. He forgot to put his, head, <laughs> his, uh, his phone inside. And so we were listening and... I think as as I remember it, we were just listening to something, and I think we just heard like a little noise, and we were just like, "What, what was that?" 
And we kind of looked around, uh, and I was like, "Your phone's inside, right?" And you, you like kind of grab your pockets, and you're like, "Because I didn't." Uh, it was. <laughs> you're like, "It's not in my pocket." And I look inside. I was like, "I, I don't, I don't see it in here, dude." Well, no, I, I don't even think I real. I think I thought it was inside. I was like I, very confident it was on my bedside table. Yeah, but then we went and looked, and then I'm pretty sure we went. We went, after looking for it, we couldn't find it. We went back out onto the fire escape. We drew, we both looked over the edge of it, and we could see it on the floor, like <laughs> four stories down, being like, "Oh, oh, oh and it was so rough." <laughs> we rushed outside. You picked it up. It was yeah. absolutely shattered, a total mess. But the fo- the screen was separated from the phone itself. The screen was separated, but it was still on. The screen was worked. on. You could still use it. I mean, yeah, the touchscreen worked. The, the touchscreen worked. You couldn't really like press. It was just destroyed. But somehow yeah. the touchscreen worked. So yeah. the only thing that prevented me from using that phone until I was able to procure a new one was the fact that I just couldn't charge it. Yeah, I remember. Like, that. It worked. Remember that. Everything worked on it. I mean, the it, I got cell service. I got Wi-Fi. I was able to text people. Um, like I was able to like text my dad or whatever. <laughs> That That's was wild. like, oops. I remember um, you but, wanted to like see if you could keep it as an alarm clock or something like that. Yeah, I think because I had work the next day or something. I probably did. I, I, and I think I ended up using like an old iPhone that I like had lying around or something without cell service or whatever. But oh man, that like that moment of like of realization, it's one of those times where if you think about it in everyday life, you like think, God, oh my God, I hope that never happens to me. But when it actually happens to you, your reaction is far less extreme, <laughs> yeah, both internally and externally than you ever thought it would be. Like I, before that moment, if I had thought, I mean, because this is the whole reason that we're so careful about bringing things out to the fire escape in the first place, is because you're like, oh god, I don't want it to fall. I don't want my phone to break. And you imagine the situation where that does happen, and you freak out just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But then it actually happens, and you're like, eh, well. Oh well. <laughs> I guess that's that's how this night's going. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's a much more calming and zen experience than a lot of other anxiety inducing situations. Yeah, in a, in a strange way. I'm I'm now I'm now remembering that actually for a few weeks after the incident, before you got yeah. a new one, I actually l- remember lending you an old like an iPad that I had that I oh, didn't really right. use very much. And you yeah. kind of started using that as your main device, like you would listen to music I on did. it. So you'd have it in your backpack and your headphones would wrap around you and plug into the backpack. <laughs> I remember that. that. Oh, that's so funny. Now if that's I right. if I remember correctly, oh, wow. correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this th- th- like another phone incident happened to you again when you were on a city bike. Yeah. And your phone popped out of your pocket, landed on the ground, and then a truck ran over it. Yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> happened. That was the so the oaks. Okay, so that when I broke the phone off the fire escape, that's when I used your iPad. Mm. The second time I broke my the next phone, which was that phone, <laughs> was the one that fell out of my pocket and got run over by a truck. Um, and I only noticed that that happened because the music stopped playing in my in my headphones. Like, what I was like, hmm, that was weird. And then I like was like, where's my phone? And sure enough, there it is, lying on the intersection. You've lived a you've lived an interesting device life, but yeah. And then the phone after that, I I lost on the subway. So oh, jeez, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you've gone through so many phones. I've gone through quite a few phones. Well. Anywho, back to back to the fanny pack thing. Yeah, you get this sense of security that your phone is not going to fly out of your shorts pocket exactly. like it's had in the past. Okay, exactly. I see that. I, mean, I see that. You you get the security that you're not going to lose anything. Mm. It's so close to your your womb, if you will. Oh Jesus! Um, that you know you're not going to lose it. <laughs> so okay, when 
when you got to, you said you were going for a run. When you got there, did you run yeah. with it or did you like leave yeah. it with your girlfriend and then? I put, I turned it around. And mm. so the, the fanny pack itself was actually in the small of my back. Right, like an ass was, pack. Yeah, it was an ass pack. It was very, it was, it was great. I thought it would kind of be annoying, like banging up against me, but it, it actually was, I tied it securely enough or rather, you know, tightened it securely enough that it really wasn't problematic at all. It was very nice. I was, I like forgot about it, you know, like you didn't realize that it was there. Mm. It, was, it was very nice. I mean, I don't take it on runs because most of my runs are, I go near my apartment and I just bring my keys with me. But I would use it in the future for a situation where you want to bring more than you can fit in your pocket, but you don't want to bring a bag. I think that's a really freeing feeling hmm. uh, when you're, you know, out on the town. <laughs> so, so you're going out at night with your uh, neon yellow fanny pack ready to go? Absolutely, absolutely, I am. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So, I guess my my only thoughts on this are just that that all sounds like reasonable use cases, and it sounds very convenient. You know, it is very. Yeah. Just useful, but yeah. At least um, my visceral reaction is, oh no, because <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> uh, I I want to say it's exclusively because they look ridiculous, in my opinion. I you think, know, but yeah. I, I, here's the thing: I as I that's my that's my visceral reaction. As I start thinking about it more, I think maybe it's a similar case to something like the original AirPods were. That when they came out, everyone was like, "Dude, why do you have tampons in your ears?" And then over time, they got just got so damn popular that everyone was just like, "Oh yeah, like you don't even bat an eye. Like they don't even look weird anymore." Yeah, but absolutely. But I guess they have absolutely like that. But the problem is here, in my opinion, they haven't been readopted to the point where I think that normalization happens. I think they're still rare enough to turn your head and be like, "Oh, oh, oh no." Yeah. Well, I don't have that. I personally don't have that reaction anymore. Maybe you do, but um, it it is they're not ubiquitous. No, that's for sure. No, no, no. Um, so what I what I can get behind though is at least. I, okay, I, I need to just clarify that I know little to nothing about anything to do with fashion. I don't pride myself in any way on having any sense of style in any way. So, put putting that aside though, I think. Something like okay, something that we have that my girlfriend and I use when we when we go on trips and stuff is we have this like one strap small backpacky bag sort of thing. So it's like it's like okay. a small backpack, sort of the hmm. Maybe I can put it in the show notes, but it's sort of like say a little more than a foot long or something like that. The actual bag okay. part of it, it's great. It's really lightweight. It's a single strap, and you can you can clip it onto one side or the other of the bottom so that it becomes like sort of a a bag meant to be on a, a certain side of your shoulder, so you can either make it a, a left side or a right oh, side. Okay. So if one side gets tired, you just switch it over. And it's that one's been fantastic. Like when we when we go traveling, we will put like I don't know, like bars and stuff like that. You put your wallet in there, your phone in there, and it kind of gives you that similar freedom that you're describing. I remember last September uh, in 2019, we went to Portland, Oregon, and we yeah. went on some like waterfall hikes a little outside of. Portland, and that was just it was perfect. Like you, you just pop your phones in there, you pop your wallet, whatever, you pop your bars, anything else that you need, and good to go. Same same way as you described, and you just I just slugged it over my shoulder, and that that felt great. Mm. And so that that solution, I feel like, doesn't draw as much, <laughs> maybe uh, not unwanted attention, but it doesn't really draw as many eyeballs. I honestly can't picture that. I'm trying to. I have an idea of what I think it looks like, but I think you, you need to send me a picture because I can't. Okay. I'm gonna see if I can find a picture right now of something yeah. similar, and then I'll. I'll 
I'll put it over the I'll put it in the show notes. But yeah. but well I what I will for sure give your neon green fanny pack is that this thing would not yellow, be the most comfortable. Yellow. Oh sorry, yellow. Neon yellow, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> this thing for sure would not be comfortable enough to go for a run with or something like that. Got you. Yeah. It's a little I mean, too that's big. the what I think is makes the fanny pack unique is that almost all of their bags involve the shoulder in some way. And that has its own drawbacks because your shoulders, you know, they're never perfectly straight up. That would be very uncomfortable. Like they're slanted. So any sort of movement, like a shoulder strap uh, of a backpack, of a, of a purse or a, a satchel or whatever, kind of like starts to droop off, at least in my, my experience, because I've kind of like slanted shoulders, I guess. I, I noticed tote bags, anything that's like on the shoulders, like generally finds its way off. Um, at some point, and you have to constantly be readjusting, and I find that kind of annoying. And the fanny pack is great because it doesn't do that at all. Like it, it stays on your hips, and it just does not move. It, it you, it frees your whole upper body movement wise, frees your legs up movement wise for the most part. Mm-hmm. You don't have a block in your the side of your leg, you know, that's like getting in the way. It is unparalleled. Okay, yeah. so I sent you the link to the one that I got. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's like a backpack with like one strap. It's like yeah, it's like a. A third of a backpack or something. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like how the, the the model in the the listing has it on the front and the back. That's actually really nice. Oh, wow. And you've got the, oh, there's so many little, like, doohickeys in there, a water bottle holder, headphone. I, dude, I love these... I love these backpacks that have like a little hole on them for your earphones. Mm-hmm. Like it's like 2003. Like earphone hole. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, what is this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, it's like, for people who walk around with iPads in their bags. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was... Me, me Me in 2016 would have been stamped on that. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we've talked about this for so long. <laughs> have we really? What do you mean? It's been like 20 minutes. Oh, no, it's been like 17 minutes. No way. Yeah, yeah way. Jesus, you're right. Oh my god! Okay, we need to move off this, but let yeah, me just finish. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we get carried away. Well, I, so know, much, I, I know. feel like so much of it was the iPhone story. Okay, well, I congratulate you on your newfound enjoyment of your <laughs> fanny pack neon Thank yellow. You. Please, 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 let's put a picture in the show notes for the listeners so I will. so they can enjoy it. If if don't you're worry. up for it, you can do a a shot of you wearing it, maybe a headless oh, shot, just a just worry. a body shot. Don't worry, you'll get that. You'll get that. Uh, that full body mirror oh, shot. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> so I had this moment two nights ago where I went on my phone to find a picture of something. I forget what it was. And I realized I have so many damn pictures of the inside of gear on my phone. <laughs> I mean, and I don't mean just like every so often. I mean, Every so often, there are pictures of things that are not gear. Let's put it mm. that way. <laughs> and it's because, you know, when you're, for example, like recently I was replacing capacitors on this old Macintosh tube mixer. Um, and in order to make sure you put all the parts back in correctly, because with the when you recap something, you take the electrolytic capacitors out, the old ones, and then you mm-hmm. put new ones in. Um, but they have a specific orientation. They have a positive side and a negative side. And if you mess that up or you solder them to the wrong part, especially with something that's has electron tubes in it and is running, you know, 500 volts, you can, you know, you can blow up a cap. It makes a loud sound. It can hurt your ears. It can damage equipment. It can damage 
other rarer components, so you don't want to do it. So you take pictures every time you open up a piece of gear. You take p- as many pictures as you can of, of anything you think might be important down the line. Or because you know, I, there have been so many situations where we've been putting something back together and being like, "Wait, where does this thing go?" <laughs> and then you're like, "Oh," then you're making a guess you don't want to make. So anyway, so I have literal thousands of pictures of gear in my phone, and I was like, I just want to get rid of all these. And it took me, I don't know, maybe. 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes to just go through and click all them and delete them, then go to the recently deleted folder and then clear all that that out. And I was wondering if there could be an app similar to the app Hazel, which I think you've shown me, mm-hmm. the the Mac app, not the iPhone app, that can in some sort of smart way I can provide it a set of criteria of photos in photos, maybe I give it a few examples, kind of feed the AI some some example photos and say after 30 days or after 60 days or whatever time, delete any photo that matches this kind of algorithmic description. It can prompt me and be like, yeah, check, maybe make sure none of these are important, you know, something like that. So, And just so it can save you the time and just the like mental space when you're looking in your camera roll, if you're looking for that important photo from a birthday party two years ago, you're not scrolling past endless pictures of whatever, or screenshots, if you take a lot of screenshots, like teach the phone to recognize those things that you don't maybe don't need after a while and they can just delete them. I feel like an app like that either would be something only I would need or be <laughs> a great tool for other people. <laughs> like, I can't tell. What do you think? What do you think? I think that's a really, really niche need. Um, but, <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> but, 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 I can tell you. Okay, okay, let's see. What are your options here? One, I, there is an app for both actually Mac and iOS, Android listeners, and PC users, I'm sorry. Don't even stop I, listening. <laughs> well, no, yeah, you know, just skip to the next chapter. If you're using a podcast <laughs> app that has chapters in it, just just move on. Oh but God. on Mac and iOS, there's an app called Gemini that okay. doesn't it doesn't do like any sort of AI stuff or whatever you know learning that you're talking about. But this one just specifically is for deleting duplicates, and so it'll identify. Oh, okay. Photos that are really similar. So you know, you know the classic thing where you're at dinner or whatever, and everyone's like, "Smile!" And you take like five pictures, and now you have five of them. But you really only needed one. But you never go through them to actually delete the other four. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. The idea of Gemini is that it collects all those and it says, "Okay, look, you have seven of these. Literally, just pick the one you want, please. I'm going to delete the other ones for you." <laughs> so that's cool. Okay, that's you're, cool. I guess it could be kind of similar to that. So you have mm. a you have a few tools at your disposal, but not. Mm. Not anything sophisticated enough to do what you want, unfortunately. <laughs> a literal AI that, right. that, that, that can recognize you just tune it to gear types of photos. But I see your I see your issue. I see your issue. I accept it. I accept I accept my fate on that one. I should just do it more frequently. I think that's maybe the answer to my problem. Mm-hmm. It's not wait until like two years later and <laughs> be like, <laughs> oh my god, just thirteen hundred pictures of the inside of random old shit that I forgot about. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Next, I think it'd be fun to talk about this little thought experiment that I read about in a book. I wanted to, I wanted to get your take on it. So the, okay. the book is called Elephant in the Brain. I didn't mm-hmm. think the book was particularly amazing in the sense of I've, I've read so many books in this sort of genre. Yeah. But it was, if you haven't, it's, it's definitely like well-written and everything, so it, it definitely made me think a little bit. But yeah. I, didn't, I didn't particularly learn a ton from this book over other books that I've read in this genre. But anyway, Mm -hmm. The Elephant in the Brain, Hidden Motives in Everyday Life. And there was a whole section talking about consumption 
and how so much of consumption is driven just by signaling motives, like how you want to come across to others, what you want to signal to them. Okay. And so let me, I'll read you the excerpt, which kind of um, introduce, we'll introduce this whole thought experiment, and then I want to get your yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Okay, so the, the title is called Inconspicuous Consumption. So they say, to get a better sense for just how much of our consumption is driven by signaling motives, let's try to imagine a world where consumption is entirely inconspicuous. Suppose a powerful alien visits Earth and decides to toy with us for its amusement. The alien wields a device capable of reprogramming our entire species. With the push of a little red button, a shockwave will blast across the planet, transfiguring every human in its wake. It will transform not only our brains, but also our genes, so that the change will persist across generations. The particular change that the alien has in mind for our species is peculiar. The alien is going to render us oblivious to each other's possessions. Everything else about our psychology will remain the same, and specifically, we'll still be able to enjoy our own possessions. But after getting blasted, we'll cease being able to form meaningful impressions about other people's things. Their clothes, cars, houses, tech gadgets, or anything else. It's not that these objects will become literally invisible to us. We'll still be able to perceive and interact with them. We'll just somehow no longer care. In particular, we won't be able to judge anyone by their possessions, nor will anyone be able to judge us. No one will comment on our clothes anymore or notice if we stop washing our cars. It will render all of our purchases completely inconspicuous. And, for what it's worth, we'll be completely aware of these changes. We will fully understand the effect the alien has had on our species. Mm. So, the big question. How does all of this change our behavior as consumers? Well, mm, this makes me think of one... I have one pre- preliminary question, sure. I guess. Mm-hmm. That kind of just maybe to further specify the thought experiment. So, we don't perceive... We don't judge others for their purchases. Correct. Correct? Correct. But do we judge ourselves for not having made the same purchases? No, I don't think so because I think th- that would imply that we've judged them. Interesting. Okay. So okay, let, yeah. let me let me give you one example then, just to okay. just yeah, make yeah. It a little give bit me clearer. an example. Give me an example. So I think a good one would be a car. So it's simultaneously a means of transport, yeah. But a lot of times can also be a status symbol. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's has its functional purpose, but. You know, beyond beyond that purpose, maybe maybe a really expensive car might actually be safer, or maybe because it goes faster, it can literally serve the function of getting you somewhere more quickly. Yeah. But beyond that, what brand it is, what little tiny features it is, what color it is, you know, whether or not it's shiny or not, if it's like huge or small, like yeah. those kinds of things, unless they serve a functional purpose, we pretty much cease to care about them. Okay. I mean, the reason I ask that is because. Oftentimes, I think the, the car is the perfect example of this. Like I, well, I don't actually have a car, so <laughs> kind of speaking from in pure hypotheticals here. But let's say I had an, a very average car. Let's say I had a Prius for whatever reason. You know, Prius is a little on the smaller side. Mm-hmm. If I see someone else driving a car around that's a bigger than the Prius, if I mm-hmm. see another car that's bigger than the Prius, mm-hmm. I go, my immediate thought is not like, oh, why does that person have such a big car? My thought is, oh, I want a bigger car. Why do I not have a bigger car? Like, I, I, I could do so much more with a bigger car. I can move more things. You know what I mean? So I guess that's why I wanted to ask that is because mm. I think a lot of the issues with consumerism in general is that we, yes, we do judge others based on their purchases, but we also judge ourselves based on 
our purchases or our inability to make certain purchases or mistakes we may have made, things we bought that we shouldn't have bought, things we should have but we don't have. So I, I wonder if that's also part of this experiment. Because if it is, then that's a, a little bit more complex. If you were looking at the car next to you and that's a bigger car and you, were, and, and you had the thought of, why don't I have that? I would like one of those. It yeah. would come solely from the point of that larger car for me in my life would be more functional. Not for yeah. any other reason. Not because, yeah. oh, I would look cooler or, oh, society thinks about people with this kind of car in a certain way and I want to be yeah. that. Just, for, just purely for the functional reason. Got you. Okay, so when you say that, that actually clarifies my second question, which was going to be, or rather my second point, which was going to be, okay, the car is one thing, it's a functional tool, but seeing someone else with a nice, a nice jacket, you don't maybe judge that person for having that particular jacket, you judge yourself and go like, oh, why don't I have a cool designer jacket? But what you just said mm-hmm. kind of clarifies that is because it's like you don't impart the status. Exactly. You when you see that you don't see with exactly, an object. Exactly. When you know when you see that, you don't see, oh wow, that's a really cool jacket. That kind of doesn't really make sense anymore. It's more so you would see it and say, wow, that's that looks really comfortable. Or mm-hmm. wow, that has a lot of pockets. I could fit a lot of things in that. Yeah. Or or something like that. So for example so with something like clothing it would be I, like the world would kind of shift into the more of like less, less sort of less from fashion and more to just their their function. So you'd move yeah. away from tight jeans or like delicate shirts and something like that, and and move to more comfortable things like t-shirts and sweatpants. And it's like okay, we right now we live in a world where probably wearing you know sweatpants and a, a t-shirt or whatever to like a really fancy office dinner party is probably not uh, a, you know it's probably frowned upon. Yeah. But in this kind of world. Then, like, no one's even capable of noticing that as as something to be judged on. So, yeah, everyone would just wear the most comfortable thing, essentially. Yeah, I think this alien will have a greater impact on our social lives than our commercial lives or consumer lives. I think. I mean, so many interpersonal problems or conflicts, or even you know the the, the judgments we make about others, it's a reflection of ourselves in a certain way, and I think that can lead to a lot of interpersonal problems and I think that like this alien would have a greater effect on that than it would on anything about our consumer culture. I mean if you don't if you don't judge someone for what they're wearing or the way they look or whatever for what they own that you know all of a sudden completely changes the way that you interact with people and I think that that's really mm-hmm. it points out that aspect of our social life really poignantly. I mean I think like we do our best to ignore those things or at least I hope. I mean I I try to but it's easier said than done. I mean, you're you're raised in in a particular culture your whole life, and in subtle ways are told to believe or act a certain way. I and mean, so you can't just like stop doing that all of a sudden once you kind of realize that you do do it. I think if if that were to kind of all of a sudden disappear tomorrow, I think that would be a really beautiful thing for the way we interact with each other. Yeah, one thing that sticks with me from this is thinking about something like advertising and how that would change because. I would say like the majority of advertising, so much of advertising is to try to get you feel to feel a certain way. You want to feel good about this product. Yeah. Like, who knows how much like Mad like, Men. Exactly. Like I, you know, for example, have recently got a new Apple laptop, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of that purchase was driven by the fact that I've used Apple laptops for a long time. I prefer the functionality of the operating system and the applications that are offered on there. I'm comfortable with it and it's what I yeah. know and like. But of course, of course, there's an aspect of that of like this is this is also a, a status symbol of sorts. And yeah. perhaps if we were in this kind of world, I would 
obviously not care about the brand and I would only be like, okay, what's the what's the computer that's going to allow me to do the most things that I want to do regardless of anything else? Same thing with phones or something with whatever else. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But but the advertising for that would change. Like the advertising would no longer yeah. have to pinpoint, oh, look at how sexy this product looks or whatever. It's more so like yeah. look at all of the things that this product can allow you to do and look at how cheap it is. And that's it. Yeah, maybe it would be better. <laughs> maybe oh, the Max would be better. Well, <laughs> I think us having this conversation and the way you framed, or rather the way the author frames the question in the book, to me, I feel like just talking about it from the perspective of like, how does our consumption change? I'm like, that's like the most shallow aspect to me, at least, of that question or of that thought experiment. Like the social implications to me are far more profound than, you know, purely the way we consume. Because I think the way we consume as consumers is in many ways deeply tied to our social interactions and our position in the society that we view ourselves to be in and that we shape our consumption around those things. Um, And I would argue that your perception of yourself in society comes before your habits as a consumer and inform your habits as a consumer. Um, So I think like the way, even the way that like the thought experiment is framed, I think is far too narrow um, Hmm. to, to really discuss like what it really means to have a world where you don't judge others or don't make judgments about anything based on the things people buy. I don't want I mean, to I fu- guess the book if the book's about that consumerism, like of course it makes sense. And maybe that's why he didn't want to go into the social things. But you know. Yeah, I think the book, just to tie tie that up, goes in more of a direction of what that might mean for how we can act today and things like that. So one thing that it that it points out is, for example, a BMW ad during the Super Bowl. Yeah. Isn't necessarily trying to convert people who were going to buy something else to buy a BMW. The ads are more aimed at the general audience that will pretty much be trying to tell them, hey, this is going to be seen by so many people. This is trying to tell you that BMW is a status symbol. The BMW is mm. some sort of luxury brand that is worth admiring. And also kind of like point. reaffirms for those watching that can afford BMWs or that do own BMWs like hey look at this it's being shown during the Super Bowl look at how cool that looks everyone's going to know that I'm cool i think bringing up the Super Bowl kind of digs to the heart of that point that that you're making there or that the author makes there and i think it, at least my own experiences with watching the Super Bowl specifically especially being like a kid so you overhear your parents talking and you're like, you know that it costs $20 million for a 60-second ad or something like that, or a 30-second ad. And you look at that, and you see that the ad's a co-commercial. And based on what you know about ads, you go like, do people need to be reminded that Coca-Cola exists? Like, <laughs> like you know, like you see an ad, you're like, why are they advertising this? Like, of course, everyone loves Coca-Cola. But, I mean, this point you're making really solidifies what, in many cases, is the true purpose of an ad is not to sell products, but to remind people or remind consumers what the meaning of the brand is. And that that is not, you know, it does relate to product sales. In the case of something like BMW, it maybe it will not lead to a sale directly, but will influence the way that that person thinks about that brand yeah. mm-hmm. for the rest of their life. And that exactly. is more important in many ways than just selling one car. For those who know me personally, they know that the studio that I work at is currently under construction. Um, the building itself is literally under construction. It's an old building. It's from the 1890s, I think. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's building an addition in the backyard, digging a new basement space that will become the, the new studio eventually. 
building a fourth floor. We're doing lots of, of big things to the building. But because certain parts of the project have stalled for a long time for reasons outside of the control of the building owner, there's been scaffolding and a work permit open on this building for over a year at this point. Um, and construction hasn't started at all, so it's been crazy. The point is, we were kind of, my boss slash the building owner, studio owner and I, were kind of bantering uh, back and forth about the scaffolding, just because it's just so funny that it's been up for this long, and when you're paying the bills at the end of the month and you see that you have to pay like, it's like $3,500 a month for this particular building. And this is a small building. This is not a huge building. So scaffolding for this building is something like $3,500 a month. It's like ridiculous. The scaffolding business or the person that owns the scaffolding business that runs this, this company is profiting off of something, you know, the longer the project stalls in this case, they're still getting money for all of this time. They're still getting that three grand a month, no matter what happens on the project. I'm so confused by that because are they like, what service are you paying for? Is it that they don't have, like, do they reuse all this scaffolding material for the next scaffolding thing? And so what they're renting it. And, and it's, it's honestly, it's honestly genius because New York. So if in New York, if you want to have an open work permit on a building, you need to have scaffolding on that building. You have to. And so if anything goes wrong in the building process and the building that the studio is in is a perfect example of this. If something goes wrong with the project and you need to go back several steps in this case, start from scratch and redesign things. But if you want to keep that permit open, you have to continue to pay for the scaffolding, pay the superintendent fees and all these things. And that if you don't do that and you get it taken down, first of all, it's like 10 grand to get the scaffolding installed and uninstalled. So you know that's a huge cost, but then Wait, to even reopen just, the work. Just sorry, ten grand. Like for example, for the building size that you're talking about for the studio. Yeah. yeah. This is. I, I hope the listeners understand. This is not by any means a sizable building. This is no, like it's small. It's like what three three stories or something with it's three with, like, stories. With the I believe it's so small. I believe it's fifteen feet or twelve feet wide. It's very very like the amount of scaffolding small. that needs to go on here is minimal. Yeah, as far as like a, a normal construction project goes in New York, yeah, that's it's minimal. Oh my goodness! I know, and and so if you want to, and if you want to restart the work permit, that can take months to go go through that process again. So you're better off just avoiding the whole thing and just keeping the scaffolding up for as long as you need to. But then the more things that go wrong, the longer you keep the scaffolding up, and you're still paying for this, you know, month after month. And the person who owns it literally is doing nothing. They're not maintaining it. They're not, no one's coming in to take a look at it, to check over it. It's just sitting there. And, you know, imagine the person that, that owns this business. They're, li- they're just profiting off of the inevitable, which is that things are going to go wrong. And they profit off of that. If something goes wrong with a project, the project stalls, the scaffolding stays up, they continue to make money off of that. They're, they don't have a lot of overhead because the scaffolding is like literally made from like what seems to be driftwood and like rusting metal pipes. Mm. I mean, if you're in New York, you if you've lived in New York, you know <laughs> the quality materials used in these scaffolding things. I mean, there, there must be virtually no overhead in this business. So the profits must be huge. I mean, just the one building alone, you could be doing in this case, this building that the studio is in, you could l- just be renting the scaffolding to that building. And you could be that could be it. You don't have to work any at all. You'd be making thirty five hundred dollars <laughs> a done. month, dude. How That's do we crazy. get? Should we start a scaffolding business? No, I, I was going to say we should get into scaffolding. <laughs> I was like, I can go to the lumber yard and be like, give me whatever say, like, you how, got. How pricey can the goods really be? 
not that not that much. I mean, certainly oh my one month's worth of rent on the scaffolding. You and I could figure out how to do it. I'm sure we could install it. I, I you know, it shouldn't be that hard. No. Okay. Well, hold on. <laughs> I'm sure you have to get approved by the city and all these things. But yeah, the one. Okay, the one thing that comes to mind is they must. You, correct me if I'm wrong, because you, you you're obviously uh, involved in this. But beyond just renting the the materials and and having maybe paying people to put it up or take it down or whatever, if there's anything that goes wrong with the scaffolding. Is that on the scaffolding company? Like, if the scaffolding falls down and like someone gets hurt or something, That's or like something happens the to the building, yeah. So you, I, you, falls, you at least got to yeah. make sure that your company's sorry that your scaffolding is spot on. I'm certain that there are non-zero insurance costs associated with owning the scaffolding because, like, if you said like if it falls down and someone gets hurt, like you're liable for that as the the scaffolding owner. Mm. So I'm sure there is expensive insurance and all these things, but. I don't know. It just seems like I mean, because you're what you're offering as your service is there's no alternative. If you own a building and you're having work done on that building, you can't not have scaffolding, so you have to pay for it. So you know, it doesn't take much coordination between the <laughs> scaffolding companies. I don't know how many there are to realize that like if they all can charge three thousand dollars a month, if they all charge that much, you have no choice but to pay that much money. <laughs> you know, um, so th- the reason I brought this up is because it kind of got me thinking. It's kind of like the the opposite of insurance. Mm. Insurance, you're banking on things going right. If you're an insurance company, if you have car insurance, you're an insurance company collecting money with the hope that that person's not going to get in an accident. And you know, statistically speaking, they're probably not going to get in an accident, at least mm-hmm. one serious enough to warrant you paying them a huge sum of money to get their car replaced or something. So you're you're profiting off of like things going well in the world. And the scaffolding business is like the opposite of that. It's like you're profiting off of things going wrong and you're profiting off of like bureaucracy at its worst, mm-hmm. which in the New York City Department of Buildings is like the peak oh, example that, of that. That is free money right there. It's like free money, yeah. <laughs> so it prompted me with this question to ask you is, is like, if there are any other businesses that you think function similarly to the Ooh. scaffolding business hmm. as we've just described it from our non-expert point of view. <laughs> Does better when things are bad. Yeah, or or profits off of the bureaucracy bureaucracy or inefficiencies in a system. I mean, because there are tons of inefficiencies in the New York Department DOB. Mm. And you're profiting profiting off of that. You're profiting off of the fact that that it takes three weeks to get a sidewalk tree permit, which is a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not for the bureaucracy, but certainly does well when when times are are bad. I would say maybe just like supermarkets. Mm. How so? Well, if things are, if say the economy's not doing well, people are still going to buy food. Maybe they're not going to buy lavish food, but they'll still buy food. And if yeah. if you are hit with something like, say, uh, I don't know, a global pandemic, <laughs> it would kind of make your business super essential and scarce, which, yeah. as we saw, drove up demand significantly. We're still barely coming down from that. Yeah. I guess the only other thing that really comes to mind are, are just, Generally, like scummy subscription services mm. that try to make it really, really hard for you to cancel. For example, yeah. for example, I'm looking at you, Crunch Jim. <laughs> My God, you, are you a member of Crunch? I was. Mm. Well, technically, technically, I still am because they won't let me leave. But oh shit. It's it's really? oh my god it's brutal. Like I I tried going in person. They were like, you know, we can freeze your membership here, but in order to actually like cancel it, you need to email this person. I email the person, they get back to me. They're like, hey, so you know, I, I heard you were trying to freeze your membership. I was like, buddy, did you not read the email? 
that's already been done. I need you to help oh me take the next God. step. And it's like, in the meantime, I normally, you know, it's, it's a one month's charge. In the meantime, it's the middle of the month. Charged again. Why? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, because you're still like, you're not off the service. No, no, and but even it's like. you're trying to get off, they're uh, still going to charge you for it. No, but it's like, like at the start of the month, they charged me for mm-hmm. my monthly thing. Yeah. And then like two weeks later, I get charged again. Just out of nowhere. Like a totally different amount. What? I don't know. I, I so I emailed the guy back. I was like, "Hey, I just got charged again, like a different, a random number." Like, what is? What? Oh, oh god! We're so hoping we were hoping you wouldn't notice that one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a gym is a classic one, but I think the the point of all this is we need to seriously look into starting a scaffolding business. I think it's yeah. a that's a no brainer to at least look into. I mean, yeah. When you put it that way, I had I had no idea that that was the kind of money that they were charging for such a small building. Like, oh my god. Like Can if it was any, if it was even like a like that's uh, such a small building. Like if it was any normal apartment building, it would probably be, I don't know, 5 6 times the amount of scaffolding that you need. I know. I know. And if it's 3500 a month for that. That's crazy, right? So about two weeks ago, I did a job that was for a Ralph Lauren commercial, and Ooh. we were near and around their, I think it was like their 81st Street or 82nd Street location near Central Park, and they have two stores. I don't know what the difference is, but one seems to be like also kind of like office is as well, as well as kind of like a more like showroomy type of store. Like It's not like it doesn't have racks. It has like a coffee shop in it. It's like a very fancy kind of place. But across the street from their like sort of fancy location, uh, window shopping location, if you will, they have their like actual store that you can go in and buy stuff. And there was scaffolding on the building because they were doing work on the building. I mean, but this was not your average rusty pipes and driftwood hmm. scaffolding. I mean, this was like it had arches between the columns. It was oh. like all white. They had like in gold bezeled lettering like Ralph Lauren. Like just kind of like on the scaffolding. I'm like, dude, I cannot imagine how much money per month. Oh my god, dude, we should is. look. Okay, so you're telling me we need to not only get into the scaffolding business, but into the luxury scaffolding business. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that, it's like one of the the prime tenets of of modern capitalism, which is like, if it exists, there is a luxury version of the product. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we will keep the <laughs> listeners posted. If if we end up starting a scaffolding new business, not only will we let you know so that we can. Get some more business, but I think it'll be a fun journey to document. So, yeah, we will we'll, promptly we'll over overcharge you. That's right. <laughs> so, one of the many little logistical things that you need to get done when starting a podcast is picking any sort of music or sounds that go along with it, along with the name and the artwork. Which I'll let you in on a little secret. As of the time of recording, I know we're four episodes in, but we don't have a name or artwork. I know that you're listening to this with a name and with artwork, but we need to pick sounds. And yeah. obviously in the, all the other episodes and earlier in this episode, you've heard sounds. So we clearly have chosen sounds by now, but <laughs> at the time that we're saying this, we have not yet chosen sounds. Yeah. One option that we had was to have like a theme song, a theme intro. You know, a lot of podcasts have maybe a longer song intro or some of them have like, welcome to the da 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 show where we do this, yeah. this, and this every day on this episode. Yeah. No, we just thought, let's just do it where we have some nice transition sounds yeah. For the beginning of the podcast, between topics, and maybe maybe at the end, yeah. So that's the that's the context for this. So Tyler, being mm-hmm. the sonic architect that he is, <laughs> whipped up some sounds, and yes. we are making the the tough decision to share them with you all here on the podcast. So if we yes. ended up picking transition sounds, rather if we if we didn't pick the transition sounds that you liked, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's too late. <laughs> but we just it thought it'd be fun. So indeed, too late. Here we go. <laughs> okay. 
So when I was sitting down to compose these sounds, I had two different sort of sonic moods in mind. And I think the difference between the two of them kind of maybe reflect the two different aspects of the podcast that we kind of have. One set of the sounds is a little more on the silly side. Not silly, but like a little more lighthearted, a little more mm. maybe tongue-in-cheek. Some of the, the other category is more a little moodier, a little more thoughtful. So I had those two kind of themes in mind when I was composing these these transitions. Maybe we can go back and forth from one to the other. That sounds like a good thought. Sure. The first one I want to listen to, it's called Descending Chords, if you have it in your, your folder. I see. Um, this is of the more contemplative type of sound effect. All right. Whoa. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Okay. I like it. I like it yeah. a lot. I think as a transition sound, I'd probably cut it in half. Yeah. Yeah. But I like the texture. I like the synth sound for it. Thank you. I like the chords that you chose. I think it definitely feels like the mood that you said. Oh, I'm glad. When I was picking the instruments for this, I was kind of, because we were kind of joking about like if we were to do like an intro song, what would the song be like? Mm-hmm. And we had kind of jokingly discussed it would be like like an 80s like pop track or something. Mm-hmm. So I tried to pick as the instruments I was using, instruments of that like flavor, but maybe compositionally not super spot on in, in that way, mm-hmm. in, into that synth pop kind of genre. But yeah, so this one in particular, uh, actually a lot of the sounds are from, and I don't know if people care about this, but a lot of the sounds are from a plug-in synth called the Fury 800, which is a a model of the Korg Poly 800, which was mm. a late 1980s digital oscillator analog filter synth. Um, of course. That actually is a very cool synth. Okay, so this next one is called Farfisa, and it's the other category. All right. <laughs> that sounds like it'd be like a Super Mario noise. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like what I was going for. That's what it was, it was in my head. My thought process was like in video games when like something, like a momentary event happens, what, what mm. musically is that sound? So that's what I was thinking about when I wrote that one. All right. I think in my head that's maybe like a transition sound that we would use to go into the rapid fire questions or something. That's a, oh, See, you know, <laughs> that's like exactly what I was thinking <laughs> when I wrote that one. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah. Man, we were like we're like on the same page. It's like so funny. <laughs> okay. So the next one, you'll see there's two. One's called DX7 Melody and one's called Casio Melody. Mm-hmm. They're the same musically, but sonically they're slightly different. The DX7 Melody one is coincidentally from a DX7. Wow. And the Casio Melody and Casio is spelled with a K is from a specific software synth that was built in Max called, it's like Casio something or other. But I've really been enjoying them recently. So I wrote this melody and then I had it played two different ways. Okay. And this, this melody is on which side of the moods? The moodier mood. All right. This is DX7 Melody. And this is Casio Melody. Oh wow, the textures are so different in terms yeah. of like the the emotion that they evoke. Yeah, I Whoa. thought that was kind of I mean, that's like a perfect example of how texture and like sonic texture can dramatically change the way you feel about Absolutely. a piece of music. 
I would say I like DX7 probably probably better. The oh, interesting. The, okay. The Cassia one to me, I like the texture better, I think, in isolation. But in the context of this melody specifically, the Cassia one makes it feel almost more like a nursery in a way. Mm. Oh, okay. Interesting. Whereas, whereas the DX7, I, I don't associate it with that. So I, I was able to pay attention to the melody more uh, with, without any connotation. Mm. Okay. That's interesting you say that because I often turn to the Casio synth in my own work because it is a more like intimate sound. And it can, even though it is like a synthesizer, synthesizers usually tend to be like, in a lot of cases, bright and open. And this just sounds really small and closed, which I, I like. But I guess maybe what the intention I had when I was picking that, the Casio sound, is that it would be more of like a closed off, introspective kind of sound mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the DX7 one. But the fact that it gives you nursery vibes is surprising to me. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I, I would say I'd be curious maybe about using that same Casio sound, but with just a slightly different melody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We can we can talk about it. Maybe maybe the what we end up picking is is not even on this list. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Ultimate troll. <laughs> All right, we have one left. All right, this one is on the Farfisa side of things, so a little more upbeat, a little cheerier, a little goofier, a little sillier. This one is called a question. <laughs> okay, yeah, definitely definitely more in like the video gamey realm. Yeah, yeah. But this one is more dramatic. Yeah, this one feels more um, more present. It's it's less it's less cheery, but still has yeah. kind of that eight bit sound. So there's yeah. like there's a hint of the cheeriness there. Yeah, it's funny that you call it an eight bit sound because it's the instrument that I'm using is like a farfisa, which is not even close to being eight bit. I mean, it's like a from the late maybe late fifties, but it definitely nineteen sixties like organ kind of like synth. Yeah, you can hear the overtones in it. Yeah, which is kind of interesting that you're like, oh, that's 8-bit, but it's like actually like pre-pre-synthesizer, synthesizers, which I think is, is, is actually, a, it's like a funny, funny coincidence. Mm. But um, in, in a similar way that the, the first Farfisa one we played, you kind of mentioned it was like, oh, this could be like the beginning of the rapid fire. The reason I like that one, or the reason I thought this would be a good one is because it kind of could set up one of the topics we talk about where it's more like, okay, so I was thinking the other day about... Blah, 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 blah. And I want to get your thoughts about it. Um, and maybe even be the sort of thing that whatever we end up picking, as you listen to more episodes, the listener can kind of almost know what the the vibe of the next section is going to be based right. off the transition sound that they hear. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. I like that concept. I think we yeah. should run with that. Yeah. Amazing. Well, uh, listeners, I would normally ask you to probably do something like vote on this, but uh, nope. <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> nope. Anyway, I hope you listeners are satisfied with what we ended up going with. But this is fun. Thank you for putting this together, Tyler. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun putting these together. I've never composed something so short before, which is actually kind of nice because you can like get an idea and then just be like, oh, that's it. I'm done. You don't have to be like, oh my God, it's work. (laughs) You know, the feeling where you come up with like an awesome bit or an awesome like a loop or something like that. And you're like, man, where do I go from here? Yeah. Whereas you're just like, oh. Nice. <laughs> rapid fire time. Ooh, rapid fire. I've been thinking about this all day. Oh, really? Yeah. So you did of your course. homework this time? Oh, shit. Is this, is it my week to ask questions? It, it is. Oh, no. Tyler. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Well, lucky for you, I 
predicted this, and I have backup <laughs> rapid fire questions for you. So, depending on how this is edited, my dear listener, you will hear one question from me and then several questions from Santi because I, once again, failed to do my duties as a podcast host and write down rapid fire questions, even though I had over a month to do this. <laughs> Despite that, I have one question and I think it's pretty darn good. My girlfriend recently got this book called The Book of Surrealist Games. And it is a very cool book, both for reading and for sort of like parties, um, for lack of a better term. Like it has, I mean, as its title suggests, it has these games in it. And the games range I'm from anything from the question I'm about to ask you, like these kind of just like would you rather have this or this? Or what would you do with this? Like these little fun questions that make you think about things in an interesting way. Or there'll be like sort of games in the sense of where we we do a poem, we write a poem together and we each write alternative lines to the poem and we don't look at each other's lines after we write our lines. So like I write my line down, fold the paper down, give it to you. You write a line, fold it down, give it to me. And we kind of go back and forth or we pass it in a circle if there's like a few friends hanging out. But one of the questions in the book I wanted to ask you, and I'm going to give you no context and no way to frame the question, just going to ask you the question, and I would like to get your response to this question. Okay. Would you rather lose the daytime or would you rather lose the nighttime? Super easy. Lose the nighttime. Mm, Okay. I answered the same thing, but... (laughs) (laughs) Simply because you can't as easily emulate the daytime as you can the nighttime. If yeah. I, you know, you got the sun outside, you got the sun beating down upon your face, you're outside. All will be know, revealed. All will be revealed. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't know what sort of how far you want to take the implications of that, but like, yeah, everything will die if we don't have the, the daytime. Oh, but, that's a great point. But you know, <laughs> I didn't think put, about that. You know, putting that aside, <laughs> yeah. um, purely just from like, <laughs> how would my day to day change? Yeah, uh, yeah, just just in terms of whether or not I have a light source. Yeah, from the selfish perspective. (laughs) Yeah. You would need to have light on all the time. Like you you would get such a bleak view of the world all the time where if you had light all the time and you wanted to not have light, you just cover up the light sources. So you go in a room with no windows or you go in a room and you close the curtains or whatever. You put glasses on or you close your eyes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Crazy. So it seems like um, all daytime would be pretty great. Mm, mm. Why? What, what were your reasons? I picked all daytime as well. I mean, kind of similar reasons. I mean, you brought up a good one, which I never really thought about. I mean, apart from the fact that <laughs> plants would die, you can easily convert daytime to nighttime in mm-hmm. your own mm-hmm. abode. And you can't really do the other way around. I guess the way I was just thinking about the question was like, what do I enjoy more, the daytime or the nighttime? You know, if I could pick, if I could pick neither of those things i would say infinite like twilight or infinite dawn hmm. like the the feeling i have in the morning is like just one of those like i mean i know it's purely in your head in many ways um but it's just this feeling of limitlessness hmm. the day's only beginning i can do anything i would disagree i think if that, it was that all the time that feeling would go away so fast that is a very fair point that's my offering for this week <laughs> <laughs> terrible Oops. terrible yeah. sorry <laughs> Now uh, I was I thinking know, about I, topics, man. You know, I wasn't thinking about questions. I mean, I, I like all the topics that you wrote, so I'll give you Thank a pass. You. I'll give you a pass. Uh, Just barely. Just barely. Okay. All right. Okay. There we go. What are your thoughts on light switches? 
As in, what kind of light switch do you prefer? Do you prefer the switch, the button, or the slider? The switch, 100%. Ooh, why? Um, I mean, the slider's nice. I get why, like, you know, half light is kind of like, ooh, moody lighting. I get it. I tend to go for warm lights anyway and few lights in uh, my spaces. For example, I'm in the studio room right now, and there is one light in this room that is on, and it is a small warm yellow light pointed away from me to the wall so it's not really illuminating that much so if i had the slider lights slider light switches rather i would keep them at the halfway point sort of any most of the time anyway so if i'm going to do that why not just get a light that when i turn it on just gives me the same feeling because i rarely am i looking for more light and if i was looking for more light i would just use my flashlight on my phone Hmm. from a purely functional standpoint the switch traditional light switch is far superior in every possible way to the flippy floppy one just because like you can't easily look at it and know which position it's in if you're in a situation where there's like two light switches you know in a room or, or whatever what is what is the flippy floppy one the flippy floppy one is like it's like a seesaw light switch oh, okay i know it's yeah, kind of like, like a very shallow angle type thing mm-hmm. sometimes you like press it and you don't press it the right way and it's just like if it's in the up position, but it means the lights are off and you go to press the lights on and it's already in the on position, it's like confusing and you're like, wait, what's going on here? And then you <laughs> move your hand around and you're like <sighs> on the wall. Whereas the light switches, you just you feel it and it's like, what position is it in? Go to the other one. Mm. It's much easier, much quicker. And I love the, the satisfaction of flipping it. Okay, nice. okay. So one, I'm surprised that you have a light on at all. I would imagine you, you record all these podcasts in complete darkness. Yeah. With, perhaps with like some sort of blanket over you so that not even the light from your laptop hits your face. Yeah. You're just isolated. Yeah, That's what I totally. picture you as. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I hate to disappoint you, but I'm just sitting in a chair. That's in all a right. moderately lit room. That's all right. I did forget <laughs> to mention one other kind of light switch, and that is the dial light switch. That you can, oh. That you can, you know, you can turn like a knobby. Those are nice. My preference would be for sure some sort of dimmer. Yeah. I respect that choice. Last question? Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. How many apples have you eaten? 200. What? No way. You've eaten no way. way more than 200 apples. No. I haven't eaten an apple personally in eight months. Wow. Maybe. I just don't like there are other fruits I f- prefer. Huh. <laughs> were you I mean were you expecting something more in the thousand range? I was expecting closer to a thousand. Okay, so that would be like if I eat five apples or like four apples a year. Four Which, apples a year for one thousand? On average, on average, on average. A year. Okay, you know where what? You okay, you know, where's this math coming from? A thousand oh a thousand, two hundred and fifty apples a year. <laughs> That's so four many apples, apples dude. Sorry, I was like, my math was so wrong. Wait, wait, no, 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 I, I'm still wrong. You're still super wrong. Two hundred fifty apples 40. a year would be. <laughs> oh my! Oh my god! It's forty apples a year times twenty five. Is that no? No, you're right. Forty apples a year if you're twenty five. Really? Why does that number sound? Why does that math not make sense in my head? I mean, it based on what I've just said, clearly no math makes sense in my head. But <laughs> <laughs> that still feels like a lot of apples. I think <laughs> forty apples a I year was, feels like a lot. 40 apples a year feels like a lot of apples. That is, let's see, let's see, let's see. That is approximately one apple every like eight or nine days. Yeah. Okay, that's, I that's, mean, that's kind of a lot. 
that's kind of a lot. I mean, the, the reason I answered so low is because, like, I really think once I got to college, I mean, I could count the number of apples. I'm, the apples I mean, were out the door. There's also this thing where sometimes I would eat apples when I was a kid, and they would give me a little queasy feeling. Certain apples, sometimes I'd feel like, a little, like you know. Kind of give you the heebie-jeebies? No, no, like nauseous almost, some apples mm. I would eat. So I kind of stayed away from apples, and, you know, Granny Smith's are disappointing, on occasion, to say the least. I mean, sometimes they're just too sour and you're just Damn. like, oh, that's what I was looking for. Um, I really feel like the most, the only way I will eat an apple currently is with peanut butter. I th- I, okay. I do think that is quite delicious. Yes. I mean, I don't do it very often. I'll, I'll eat a bit a banana more often in that in that situation. But that's why I got the number 200 from because I think in the past like, like six years, I've maybe only eaten like five apples. Mm. Yeah. I would put my number closer to... I would say maybe like 700. That's a lot of apples. I mean, yes and no. Do you like apples a lot when you were a kid? I do. I, I, mm. I did and I do. I don't eat mm. as many apples now just because uh, there, there are more convenient foods to store at least. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, a can of beans keeps forever. An apple, you got like a week. Exactly. <laughs> but but I'm still a huge fan, so color me appled. Anyway... <laughs> As always, you are a gentleman and a scholar. I'll see you next time. I'll see you next time. (laughs) So I had this moment last night, or I had this moment. Let me start. <laughs> okay, wait. <laughs> what? I just saw a meme. I'll send it to you. And so you can get some really interesting things in an interesting way. Interesting question. Which is kind of interesting that you're like, oh, that. It's it's interesting that maybe the. I mean, I'm not in advertising, so I don't it's know. It's interesting. Fuck. <laughs> All right. I think it's interesting. It's an interesting thing to think about. So interesting. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> That's interesting you say that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of interesting to... Th- yeah, I think you bring... With the advertising, I think you bring up a really interesting point is that... Ooh. Oh. <laughs> it's worth considering, I think. Consi- <laughs> it's worth <laughs> considering. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was a good, Wait, that was I'm a good forget. one, though. I'm going to forget. Shit. Yo. Sorry. That was tragic. <laughs> I heard <laughs> the mouse like, click. It was like, oh, and then sorry. Because I was, I was closing out. My computer's kind of being a little loud right now, so I was just closing out unnecessary apps. Um, and I accidentally, just absentmindedly was like, FaceTime. Well, I'm not on FaceTime. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I captured that noise, like the hang-up noise, so I might be able to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>